You know, you will probably want to be creative in many ways. You might like to draw, you might like to figure skate. You know, it, like developing other interests that aren't just your leading art form are really, really crucial to you as an artist because they give you energy and they give you life without the pressure. That was Emma O'Reilly. And this is From the Maker to the Maid. listening to from the maker to the maid podcast hey everybody how's it going i'm your host barry power i'm a musician songwriter wannabe digital art maker from the maker to the maid is my podcast every week i sit down with artists and creatives to talk about their personal process and explore what it means to be a working creative in the modern digital landscape This week is The Maiden Voyage, episode number one, and I'm delighted to be sharing this conversation I had with the supreme talent and inspiration that is Emma O'Reilly. Emma is a Norwich-based singer-songwriter, teacher, producer, and all-around independently spirited artist. She's performed extensively throughout the UK, Ireland, and Europe. She also happens to be a digital ninja in all things music marketing. In the episode, we spoke about her experience of music education, her process, her recent embrace of the Patreon platform, and how a stint at the Visby International Centre for Composers in Sweden influenced her creativity. If you have a minute, do yourself a favour and check her out at morally.ie. She's also on all the usual social channels. Links to all of these have been included on the show notes, so make sure you go check those out. There's also a link where you can become one of her patrons on her Patreon page, where she puts exclusive music and exclusive content just for her patrons. So definitely check that out. Also, before we get into the conversation proper, I want to shamelessly self-promote my own website, barrypowermusic.com. It's where my own music lives. Uh, It's also got videos, blogs, at the moment, I am running a free ebook that is made up of my own writings. Uh, and again, all the links will be in the show notes. So basically, go check out the show notes. So with all that out of the way, thanks again for listening. Please share, like, subscribe, leave a comment. I'd love to hear from you. And if you or anybody that you know is creatively minded and is making things and you feel like you'd like to talk about it, open the door to the box of your creative mind. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. There's a link in the show notes as well where you can send me an email and uh, tell me about yourself. So here is my conversation with Emma. I hope you enjoy it. Emma O'Reilly, welcome to the maiden voyage of From the Maker to the Maid. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm good. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. I'm looking forward to uh, getting this thing started. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Let's start with a little bit about yourself. So, who are you? Where do you come from? So, I'm Emma O'Reilly. I am a musician from Ballinasloe, County Galway in Ireland. And I make a sort of, kind of like a theatrical, uh, like pop rock with kind of some classical influences and definitely some folk influences as well. Um, sometimes it's hard to know exactly what words to choose to describe it, but those are the ones that seem to work for me right now. Cool. It's always hard to explain what your music is like. It's yeah. the hardest question. Yeah. Um, so going back a little bit further, do you know, how did you get in? 
how'd you get into music in the first place? Well, I've some, there's kind of two things I can remember that, that always jumped to me first when I got asked this question and both go back to when I was a kid. I have, I have a memory of myself wandering around in my garden at home, just making up songs to myself about stuff. And they weren't particularly, I didn't really identify them as being songs as such at the time. They were just sort of a, a response to the environment and to things that I was thinking, you know? Yeah. So it came very natural. Supernaturally, yeah. And and I the school I went to was very musical. We spent a lot of time, you know, doing kind of like Irish dancing and speech and drama and uh, putting on shows and things. This is Gael Scully in Ballinslow. And we, we spent a lot of time making music. And then, of course, I came from a musical family. So my dad is very into music, but have played a lot of music. And my mother's very musical, even though she wouldn't kind of perform very much you know she reared us and she had a song for everything anything we did she had a song to sing about it so I think yeah music was a very natural way to engage with pretty much anything so I just kind of I got it from there I suppose and did you have like traditional education in music you know did you come up through the grades and all that um I kind of I it's it was a bit of an interesting one for me because I feel like uh, my education in music is kind of patchy and weird. Like it's had a lot of starts and stops. So, you know, a lot of singing in choirs in school. Um, would, this wouldn't have been from sheet music as well now because I know some cultures, if you're singing in a choir, you're you're musically literate also. But it, um, as any Irish person will know, a lot of choirs in the country, most kind of community choirs, unless you're in a school that has a very refined music department you're not really using literacy very much you're often using your ears a lot more Mm -hmm. so I feel like I got a good grounding and sort of my ears in those early years you know like with us making up intuitive harmonies and stuff in the choir I was in in primary school um kind of towards the end of primary school I took a piano with the great Mary Power Norwell who I'm sure you know Barry yeah (laughs) my mother yeah formidable teacher um, and I also had Mary, Mary was kind of quite a present figure in my musical education because she was, she was also quite a big figure in musical education in Ballinasloe in general. So, you know, a lot of my friends were going to marry for their piano lessons. She was also involved in, um, music in the, in the secondary school I went to as well. And then kind of other services and things around the town. So, uh, Mary would have, um, boldly led me through the kind of piano landscape and she also uh, had me briefly for kind of like singing lessons as well when I was in my teens and um, the I think the biggest gift that I got from Mary was that she she's a she's a wonderful teacher because Mary doesn't Mary wants people to enjoy making music yeah and that's her priority and there's music so I had I had a bit of a weird one where I started doing grades later than a lot of people would have been doing them. So I think, I think with Mary that I maybe did grade one to grade four, I think. This is in the Royal Irish Academy system. So that's like an Irish system um, for kind of music grading. Um, I, I did one to four there. Then I think I took a break because it was, I was in transition year, fourth year, secondary school at that stage. And then by the time I was there, I realized that I wanted to study music but I'd need a much higher grade to kind of get there. So I hopped from four to eight. <laughs> yeah. 
which was awful <laughs> and painful and difficult. Yeah, that's a big jump. It was a big jump. But, you know, I think the pieces and the standard that I had to leap to, I was musical enough to be able to make that transition. And then I had Mary was good enough at guiding me and using my musicality to help me get playing those pieces. I, I mm-hmm. think with many other teachers, they wouldn't have been able to get me over the line. Um, I also feel like, so I kind of had that. And so a lot of really intuitive music making and a lot of very getting into music stuff with the Musical Society in Ballinasloe. I did two shows with them, um, which is weird to me because they occupy such a big place in my heart. The two shows I did, it feels like I was involved with them for a lot longer, you know. Uh, we did West Side Story with Eam Noon directing. And then we also did The Wiz with uh, John Rowe doing the musical direction there. So I was like working with a lot of different people, hearing a lot of different things about the voice and how to kind of work and interpret. And um, it was around that time, like I said, I I kind of figured this is something I want to get pretty serious about. And um, Emer was a big inspiration to me, actually, because when she came in, like, you know, West Side Story is by Leonard Bernstein and the music there is... Difficult. It's difficult and it's rich and it's cinematic and it's wonderful and it requires you to be quite a switched on musician. Mm, absolutely. To be able to really engage with it. And Emer was. I mean, Emer came into the room and she knew every single dot on that page. She understood it. She was playing around with it. She was making decisions with it in this such, in such an informed, like natural way. Like this was, it was natural to her to be negotiating that caliber of music in that way. And I, it was one of those things of, you know, you see it, you can be it. And I saw her knowledge and I saw how confident she was in a room of her knowledge. And I thought, I want that for myself. Mm hmm. You know, I want her level of technical understanding and her level of literacy. And she had gone and studied music in Trinity, um, which I wonder about. The, I, I then made the decision to try and study there as well. And I, I sometimes wonder about that, that decision. I wonder if it was the best decision for me. I know that she had told me to exercise some caution because she knew that I wanted to kind of work in more popular mediums, like maybe musical theatre or kind of just pop music or songwriting. Um, which Trinity isn't the ideal environment for in some respects. Um, but uh, did did music in secondary school then and went off to college to study after that. And college was really, really, really tough. So do you, do you think that like the educational side can hold you back from your creativity a little bit? I think it can. Yeah. You know, I was confident about many things. Um back then but I didn't really understand I think how to safeguard my creativity I didn't know that it was a thing that needed to be minded and safeguarded um and certainly there was a period of maybe about three four years maybe after the first year of my degree coming into the second year until maybe a year after I'd finished my degree where I wasn't really thinking about pursuing songwriting anymore um, or, or anything kind of like it. I was actually thinking of going into conducting, uh, a, kind of in, kind of studying that craft and learning that. And I, I mean, in a lot of ways, I was very, I did well in classroom environments in school. 
Um, I was good at them. I was good at reading books and retaining information. And, you know, I have fairly decent kind of critical faculties and that kind of thing. So being in the environment where you sort of do as you're told without evaluating what you're being told to do too critically. Yeah. Um, I hadn't I didn't have that skill set yet. So I didn't really know. And I wasn't experienced enough to have an intuitive feel for how to determine what was actually serving my creativity and what wasn't. Because I had made this decision that in order to be creative in a way that would satisfy me, that I needed to understand what I was doing very well. Yeah. And in many ways, I do not regret that decision at all. Like, yeah, I like that I have that knowledge and I like that, you know, someone could try and take a shot at me for the kind of music I make if they want. But there's probably not a whole lot they can say that I can't refute very quickly. So you found you found it a little bit more difficult to be creative you kind of, you know, from from an educational point of view, that it was it was education, and I'm learning about this thing, but the room for creativity kind of got narrowed. Would you say that? Very little room, very little room. Yeah, I would say that. So, um, certainly in Trinity, so Trinity is known for being um, it's very cla- Western classical music oriented, and um, there's like I learned so much on that course. I had some really amazing lectures, some incredible, incredibly experienced people kind of like, you know, sitting down there in front of me. But its priorities were not, you know, like BIM didn't exist at the time. The the, the priority for songwriting wasn't a thing. And, uh, you know, I kind of, mm-hmm. I had, when I had gone there, I'd intended that I would do composition but when I began kind of doing the composition track, I discovered that the the style that was being catered to at the time a lot more was kind of this contemporary classical composition, which, and I do love that as a genre. I've actually spent most of the last week just listening to music for 18 musicians on loop, um, kind of doing correcting. It makes me feel like I'm drinking coffee or something. And I've, I've gone on to be involved in a lot of contemporary classical performances in Ireland, and I find it a very exciting genre, but it's not necessarily what I write or at least it's not at the moment at the, at the time of this recording it's kind of not what my creativity moves towards so how how did you navigate out of the kind of education centered you know part to find your own creativity how did you how did you work that out did you just decide like right I'm done with this I'm just going to write songs now or was there a process that you used well kind of every now and then fragments would sort of keep coming to me and I knew that when I was looking at that sort of composition option I was like this isn't what I want to do at this moment in time so I I kind of chose to study tech a bit more closely and I thought well this will give me opportunities to maybe do some recordings of my own stuff to be writing the kind of things that I am more interested in writing and I that did play out to an extent um while I was there, I got the chance to try and record some of my own material on a couple of occasions and to try writing with things like Pure Data and um, C-Sound and use different samplers and different digital audio workstations. So that kind of served, that set me up for later on in ways that I really, like I really deeply appreciate now. Um, but in terms of coming back to songwriting and starting to think about that, um, I think it must have been about a year after college I was working in Music Maker on Exchequer Street and I met up with a friend of mine for lunch. He's a guy called Colin Kerry. He works in the Tower of London. And we were talking and I mentioned that I write songs. 
And he was like, he, he'd known me because he'd mentored me um, in conducting when I was in college. And um, we kind of stayed in touch after that because I found his mentorship really helpful. And we were just chatting and he said, I didn't know you wrote songs. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I do. And I played some for him and I was really nervous. And he was like, I've never seen you like this. Like, you've never been one to be at a loss for words or be nervous about anything. Because I suppose when when I was doing a lot of the kind of conducting stuff and a lot of the classical stuff, because it's not as vulnerable as your own song. It's very technical, I suppose. Yeah, you can, I'm, I'm you know, and, and I'm, you know, I've got a good grounding in acting and stuff. So I'm perfectly happy to stand up in front of a room and wave my arms around, you know. So he was kind of like, you're really, this really matters to you. Now look look how nervous you are about this. And he listened to some of the songs and he gave me some feedback and we talked about this and he was like, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you pursuing this? Like this, this matters to you a, a lot. And it sort of made me confront something that I'd maybe been hiding, that it did matter to me a lot and I wasn't kind of putting a lot of effort into it. So since that conversation, I've been kind of one step at a time. So did... Did you find your, your musical education kind of diminished your confidence a little bit? Completely, yeah. It did. Yeah, no, it did. It really did. Like, I struggled to call myself a musician for about a year and a half. I can't, you know, I can't really pinpoint a moment that that happened. But I suppose because uh, in my college education, the bar was always higher than I could reach. I felt. Now, I didn't do, ba- I didn't do bad in college. I worked my absolute ass off had a lot less fun than a lot of other people I know. And uh, I gained a lot. I gained a lot of knowledge from my hard work. I really did. But I, the bar was always higher than I could reach there. And that, I suppose, became my mentality. Yeah, it's sobering when you get into a situation where you might have been really good in your hometown and you're like, well, I was the best in, you know, in my class and I was the best, you know, around my age group, maybe. And then you get in and suddenly everybody's like amazing. You're, and you're you're failing things you're failing things like that was a big deal to me I was a I like you know and it is this kind of um it is this kind of big fish thing that does happen to so many of us and I know it certainly happened to a lot of people who did the same course as me was the sense of we all were really hard workers you know we were up for putting in graft and it was really distressing when suddenly that graft didn't serve you anymore like I remember working because I couldn't really read when I went to college. I remember spending hours working on simple harmony assignments that probably had been intended to only take maybe half an hour. It would take me hours, hours, and and then I would fail. That sucked. <laughs> it sucked, and I mean, I it was I suppose it was character building in a way because I still, you know, I would fail. I really, really, genuinely would not understand what I had done wrong. And then I'd go to these tutorials and I would really try really, really hard to understand um, what I was doing. That meant that I was failing something that I was working so hard at. Yeah, it's, it's very, it's very tough. I, I would have had a similar experience up to a point um, when I was studying in Newpark for uh, the jazz diploma I did. Except they were, they were kind of the opposite. Like they were, they were sticklers for the, for the technical side of things. Um, but they were all about creativity, you know, it was... It was like, find your voice and the, the way to do that, you know? So I suppose I know what it's like to get into a situation where it's really, 
competitive and you feel like I'm I'm not good enough to be here. Yeah. And it's the, the sad thing is it becomes something that you don't even consciously say to yourself. Do you know what I mean? Like you're never mm-hmm. saying that sentence in your own head, but you relegate yourself to where you see yourself achieving. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Like in your head, you go, well, that's my place on the ladder. It can it can really, you know, crush your confidence. And then to come out of it, the other side create, creatively after after uh, playing your friends' songs. Was it a conscious decision that's like, right, you know, I put that part of my life behind me and now I'm going doing this or is like songwriting will always be just a part of my life as I do other things um I think it was a bit more focused and uh, yeah like I didn't I did attempt to give music a break when I left college and within a month I was in a castle in Kilkenny writing music with people (laughs) excellent so it didn't really work for me to to kind of quit music if you like for a while but I suppose and, and like I, I kept up various different things so like I joined choirs I got involved with various different musical projects I worked in and I kind of found different outlets for my my skill set because of course you know you got to work so I was with a music maker for a while then I was with song school which is where we kind of first really got to know each other um, and that helped me apply and sort of get back into the swing of creating stuff because I was doing it so often um and then kind of around that time was when I had started to kind of decide well look I need to take this a bit more seriously for myself so um I don't think I ever left behind as such what I what I gained in college because I was really proud of what I'd achieved like, even though I, I sort of, as you know, I said, as I sort of relegated myself a, a level of ability in my head that, you know, I mean, any sort of way that you rank yourself is fundamentally arbitrary, isn't it? Because. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, I'd given myself the sort of arbitrary place where I existed, but I still knew damn well how far I'd come. You know, I'd worked yeah. so hard to be able to read, to be able to direct music, to be able to program music creatively. So I still, I, I kind of still, and I still do, I still use the skill set that I had as much as I can. So like, you know, I'm, I'm in a classical choir here in Norwich. I, you know, in the teaching that I do in the college that I'm in, um, I'm bringing little elements of theory into it all the time to kind of, you know, help students have as many like as many strings to their bow as they possibly can to communicate what they mean musically. And I kind of feel like it's meshed together in a weird way. Because the the fact that I had that classical... So it's like, it's like a big musical stew. Yeah. Yeah, because like the fact that I had that classical, really strong classical education means I can get into a room with all sorts of kinds of people and I can speak their musical language. So you sound, you sound very sure-footed creatively. So... You would say a lot of the things that hold you back from putting out more things would be kind of logistical. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Like it's it's really difficult to... Like making making art that is really well presented and really well... Um, especially something that I'm going to ask people to pay for. Um, now my Patreon, I've I've consciously broken my own rule a bit there, but I'll talk about that in a few minutes. But certainly, if it's a release that I'm going to put my full weight behind, 
I'm going to spend hours of my life researching and sending emails for, i.e. the non-creative side of, of the work, the admin side, if I'm gonna, it really needs to be worth that. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like it needs to be something that I just have to share and want to get out there for it to be on this release level. And that means that for me, I want to have good graphic designers. I want to have really good quality images. I want there to be quality in what I give to people and in what I put my name to creatively. So for me, that does mean that I'm not just gonna hire the cheapest person or, you know, go find a student. Do you know that kind of way? And I'm not saying that students aren't amazing and that they don't do fantastic work, but I, my music is an extension of my soul effectively. So I'm not going to put that into the hands of anyone less than I think fantastic. And I like being part of an ecosystem where I'm making sure that through my, uh, you know, by paying them properly for their work, or in some cases people have been generous and they've charged me kind of mates rates or stuff, but I always say to people, charge me what you want to be paid for this. Um, but by honouring them for their work, it means that they can keep making art. So that holds me back a lot. Yeah. It holds me back a lot. Like my last EP cost me about four grand. So, yeah, so, so kind of when you left college and you kind of, you broke out with, with your first songs, you kind of hit the ground running creatively. And then, you know, you never had any kind of stumbling blocks there in terms of like your output or your or your writing uh, aside aside from the logistic side of things do you know do you mean in terms of like kind of creative writer's block yeah so do you know just to talk a little bit more about the creative side of it um the things that might hold you back from it because obviously like the the logistic size depends on on your vision as an artist you know how much do you know mm. Yeah, but of course, none of those logistics appear at all if there isn't art for there to be logistics about, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, okay, so writing for me is kind of, has been a bit of a, a different experience in the different parts of my life. You know, I kind of feel like your songwriting evolves with you. Um, like when I was in my teens, I would just have a feeling and I would just pick up a guitar and I would just write to it. Um, it kind of became a more considered thing then after college you know, like having the knowledge I, I had and a more conscious thing. And one of the things I realized last year um, was a, I had a big insight into my own songwriting last year. And the context for that insight was I had applied for some space and time to go to some sort of a composer center and write. And um I'd been chatting with Linda Buckley, who's a, a really great Irish composer. She's amazing. And I had her briefly as a lecturer in college. She was also amazing at that. Lovely, lovely person. And I was saying to her how, like, I really struggled to write. Because I, if I think someone in another room can hear me, my sensor comes on. Immediately I'm censoring the things I'm saying or writing or thinking because someone else can hear it. Yeah. And I care about what people think which is not great but you know well it's it's hard when people are here in the initial phases of something because it's like yeah because the initial phases aren't for anyone else they're supposed to just be for you 
and they're for you to mine and just mm-hmm. get the rock out of the way to find the gold, you know? They're, it's a very vulnerable stage. Like, once I had something written, I was fine with rehearsing it. But, you know, living in rented accommodation in Dublin where I was never really sharing with less than two extra people, between two and four, getting time on your own in any place like that and a sizable chunk of time as well is really difficult to do. So I was saying this to Linda and she said, I'm sure I've done residencies in places where they have songwriters. And I asked her to give me some names and she recommended the Visby International Centre for Composition, which is in Sweden, and a little island called Gotland. So I said, can I use you as a reference? And she very kindly agreed. So I sent an application off to them and they accepted my application. So I went there last year and I was like, finally, finally, I'm going to have some space to actually write some music that isn't just borrowed, you know. Borrowed time. Yeah, actually dedicated straight to making things. Yeah, like this is this is it. This is going to be like, after all these years of talking about releasing music and releasing music and trying to write music in these little windows, I'm finally going to get a chance to feel like what it's like when you actually are allowed to just focus on that. Was it really tough at the start? Did you get like... I've just got a blank page. I've got everything I want and now I can't do anything. It was really difficult. Well, it was such an interesting process because I didn't realise how underdeveloped I was in terms of my songwriting rhythm because I've never had a chance to develop it. Do you know? When you can only songwrite in these tiny little bursts, you don't get a chance to develop a creative practice. Because a creative practice is a continuous thing. It's a thing you do every day. Do you know what I mean? And when you're freelance, yeah, you take work where it comes. You, you just have to kind of do what you got to do to keep yourself floating. So you don't, like being able to carve out time for this process is a bit, it's a bit, you know, it's not realistic for a lot of us. I, I don't say that to like give away responsibility or anything. Like I did my best to write as much as I could, but there was just... You know, it kind of would kind of come in flashes. It was harder to get that time. And when I was in Visby, I was suddenly, I had a room to myself. I had a piano in this room. I had a gorgeous desktop with uh, Logic 10 on it. I had microphones that they would let me use. Oh my God, I just... And I, I, I committed to myself. I said, look, I'm not here to write Bohemian Rhapsody. Do you know? I'm not here to write... Wuthering Heights. I'm here to write as much goddamn music as I can. And I'm going to, I kind of, you know, that trick from the artist's way, which is where you, you work towards quantity, not quality. So I said to myself, look, if I, if I pressure myself for quality here, it's not going to come. If yeah. I pressure myself for quantity, I could write a rake of songs and then come away with two or three really good songs because I've waded through the stuff. And having that time that daily contact with the songwriting was the most incredible experience because I just went in every day and I wrote so I was averaging about a song a day roughly and that was that how long were you there for I was there for three weeks wow um for for the first half I averaged about a song a day because I was just like look Let's get some fragments together. Wasn't pressuring myself to have it particularly good and I would demo it. So when I say a song, I would get kind of verse one, chorus, verse two, bridge, any extra elements that I wanted to have included and have an idea of how I wanted the structure to be. And it wouldn't necessarily be completely finished, but it would be a solid draft of something. 
Well, that's always finished enough to uh, to work on, you know. Yeah, it, they were quite like quite, you know, relatively well realized demos um, across a bunch of different genres and ideas and stuff. But what I realized, like for many years, I'd beat myself up because, you know, I very much believe in carving out space for your creativity and not giving up on it. And not, you know, not giving up, not handing things over too much to circumstance, you know, kind of trying to be more active in creating circumstances for yourself to write. And what I realized while I was a Visby was, you know, I wasn't just being lazy. I wasn't just giving up on things. Like when I was there, every morning I would get up, I would write in kind of morning pages for about an hour. Then I would do some yoga because it's ner- you know, it nerve wracking going into these kinds of environments. You're about to deal with yourself all day long and that's quite difficult. Um, so I would settle myself. Then I would go into the center. I'd have a, like a decent breakfast, a solid breakfast. I would go into the room about half 10 or 11 each day. And then I would spend, it literally would take me an hour to two hours just to ground myself into the room. And I would do that by warming up. I would do it by... Um, listening to one or two pieces of music maybe. The centre had a lot of different piano scores in there so I would grab some piano scores and try and do some sight reading. Um, I tried to work through, like someone had a copy of a, a Microcosmos in there which is like a kind of a piano learner um, and I worked on that and because he does this sort of, the Microcosmos, he does this sort of like interesting uh, polytonality thing and I was like, oh, that's interesting. I want to feed myself a bit of that so that I can maybe start incorporating some of it but it would take me the hour or two to settle into the room enough that I could pick up the guitar and start throwing something out there and then once I got into that I would work for about three hours without thinking and then I'd get angry because I had to stop and eat And I'd stop and I'd eat. I'd just getting in the zone and now I have well, to Well, yeah, I used to, like, I, like, this is literally how I am when I get in that state of focus. I'm like, I have to eat now? Damn it. Like, you know. So I would stop, I would eat, take about an hour out and then I'd go back in. I'd have to stop and eat again, which would annoy me again. But once I got in the door and got myself settled, you know, I would, I would work for about 12 hours. Wow. Sounds like an amazing experience. It was incredible. And it was the things that I learned there that I realized I couldn't have learned any other way. Like I started to be able to see my crutches. Do you know? Like the structural crutches that I had or I started to actually see what my go-tos were. And you can't see those things when you write one song every two or three months. You know, because you're only getting these scraps of time to put them together. And I kind and and like to be able to see the songs that I was writing side by side. You know, you write five songs in a week, you start to see what the patterns are pretty quickly. So then I was able to start thinking about, well, what can I do that's different? How can I challenge myself? Yeah. Or no, actually, that structure is right for that feeling or emotion or thing that I want to say. Um. And I did one or two extra little things while I was there as well. Like I recorded. Uh, vocals for a song called Bread and Roses that went on to the London Irish campaign for abortion rights there video. Um, I recorded a version of uh, The Boys of Bornestrogia for my dad's birthday. Um, So I had little other things that I did to, you know, take the pressure off myself a little bit. But those first, the first week and a half, incredibly productive time and really insightful. And then, and then... There was a lovely composer there who was leaving to go home because the the kind of the, you can have three composers in residence there at one time. 
and or I think it's four actually yeah and one of the composers was leaving that week and he was like oh maybe we might show each other our work at the end of the week and that killed me I was like yeah sure that sounds like a good idea and as I was saying it I thought it was a good idea and then the next day I went into the studio and I clammed up and the last pretty much the last week that I had there I did a lot more of kind of listening to other material and playing covers and just being very gentle with myself because the idea that someone, that these people who are like, because I'm, I'm a songwriter, you know, I'm there, I'm trying to put the, pre- I'm not trying to put pressure on myself to be classical or technical or impressive. And then suddenly as soon as I thought, oh, someone else is going to hear this and these people are really good musicians and I really respect what they do and I think they're amazing. Suddenly everything stopped. So you couldn't be creative then after that? It was much harder. It was much, much harder. Like my, I, I didn't stop writing entirely, but the sort of rate of production, if you like, slowed down so much. And that is, that's the power that someone else's opinion has on me. You know? And it was... It's a fragile thing, yeah. It's so fragile. And those creating, I know, I know safe spaces is sort of a, a term that people like to make fun of now. Um, in some places, I still think it's a pretty useful term and I think it totally applies to songwriting. I think your stage of early stages of creation of the song and Julia Cameron advises this in the artist's way as well. You don't share the first draft. You just don't. You just don't. Because if you even think about sharing that first draft, that's what happens. The sensor takes over and what I should say or should sound like or should be doing takes over from what's actually within you, what's, what actually wants to come out. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was an incredible, it was a really painful thing to learn because it makes me really sad. And I know some people will listen to this and kind of go, woe was me. Like we all got to work. We all have to make sacrifices. And it's true. It's true. Well, it's a different kind of work writing songs, you know. Yeah, writing songs is different. And I think if you can do other things and they make you happy at the stage you're at where you're 30 like me and you have no savings and you have no financial security and no health insurance and no nothing, if you don't, if it's not something that you do that is necessary for you, you'll probably have given it up by that point. But I can't, it's, it, music isn't optional for me. Songwriting isn't an option for me. So it's quite painful to discover in a way that I had so much to learn through working in that focused way about my songwriting and knowing that I was going home to an environment, oh God, I got emotional even talking about it, knowing that I was going home to an environment where that was going to be over to an extent. And how do you bring that feeling to where you're at now? Can you can you put yourself in that headspace again? Or is it very difficult? It's difficult because what I learned about myself there was that I have a lot more fear and a lot more vulnerability in getting to the start of writing a song than I'd realized previously. And that was why it was taking me so long to settle into the room. And, you know, so for example, you know, you're living with other people. Like I I need to know that I have a a house to myself for the entire day to be able to do it. And then, of course, if I give up an entire day a week to do that, I'm at huge risk of not having food on the table. Do you know what I mean? Like every day of the week counts for me to be able to survive. So I don't get the luxury of the amount of time that it takes for me to really get into a flow and do it very often. Um, that's part of the reason why I use my Patreon account in the way that I do because I have to try and I'm trying to adapt do you know what I mean yeah 
yeah it's it's a very difficult thing to put yourself into the into that headspace it's very it's a delicate balance do you find a similar amount of settling required before you write unless of course like you know sometimes when you're so angry about something it just happens but to kind of sit down and intentionally do you do you have like a settling period that you need before you'll actually start to you know the muse will actually be coaxed if you get me yeah i'll go yeah my settling period is like weeks and <laughs> months you know but uh i find when i when i do get in when i do get in a writing phase i, t- I tend to, to think of them in phases i'll be like there'll be and it, it's just kind of it's easy then i don't find it uh if i get it's okay it's kind of there's a lot of things coming now and i'll get them out and but uh I, I, I've kind of given up on feeling guilty about, you know, if it's not coming that it's like, oh, well, it's over now. And, you know, I will never be able to write yeah. a song again. You just think, well, it's just a kind of a, it's just a, a seasonal thing. Do you know, I find that mm-hmm. I'll tend to be more into songwriting and then I'll get a little bit more into uh, practicing or I'll be getting into production or something else, do you know, and I just kind of go, well, that's where the creative creativity is at the moment. So I'll just run with that mm. for a while. So, yeah, this is where I'm kind of being led to be. Yeah. So and, and I I really like the idea of doing a lot of different things now. And that's actually helped mm. help me for songwriting. Is that like I, I started writing a, a blog um, a year ago and I found I really enjoyed that. And I was like, well, I can put some ideas down in a way that I couldn't in any other way. So then I said, well, what else? So I, I recently just bought a film camera as well. So I've been taking some pictures and getting into that. So I'm thinking like, how can you do all these different things? And then when it comes to songwriting, it's not like, well, I can only express myself as a songwriter. I, I just see myself as this. And I think when you put that kind of pressure on yourself to go, I'm only this thing. That means that, it, you know, the songs have to be amazing <laughs> do you know yeah so, so yeah and you put a lot like, of pressure on the song i'm a songwriter some of my songs are good but i'm all i also do this and some of this is good do you know so i'm kind of i'm kind of cool with that now whereas before i was like these songs have to be good because it's all it's all that i'm about <laughs> do you know and yeah, it's, it's part, kind of, the part of the reason for this podcast too is that do you know i'm kind of i'm really interested in where does that creative where do those creative lines where where are they drawn you know because i think of that john lennon quote you know it's like i'm an artist you know give me a tube i'll give you something out of it yeah you know? yeah yeah so that's yeah. you you kind of paint with what you've got basically yeah but i did struggle a lot more previously about like i have to write a song i have to get in a room and I, it has to be really good whereas i'm kind of okay with it not being good now it's like you know that's fine <laughs> yeah and that's it's it's weird isn't it it's hard to find ways to take the pressure off it is yeah and a lot of the pressure i find is it's yourself putting yourself under the pressure because you know like bohemian you rhapsody identify is a with bad it, benchmark you know huh bohemian rhapsody it's a tough benchmark you <laughs> oh know? god no because that's that's in your head you sit down at the piano and you're like maybe today is the day maybe today <laughs> is the day i've become freddie mercury yeah Huzzah. it's 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 something i'm trying to work with a bit at the moment is kind of like 
and and that was my attitude when I went into that songwriting environment in Visby was I wanted to be not putting pressure on myself. I wanted to let what was in just come out as it was and commit to just doing as much of it as I could. Um, and with, with, the pa- with the way I'm using Patreon at the moment is I'm putting up a song a month and it's really scary because to do that, I don't have a lot of time. Like currently I don't, I don't earn enough to be able to set aside a day, a month to write and, and record something. So I just have to be like, well, look, these people are here on this platform. They've showed up for me. They've showed up for my music and they've showed up, you know, for kind of independent music making. I've told them I'm going to give them a song a month. I'm going to give them a song a month. And then what I earn off that goes into helping me with the next release. So it's kind of, it's, but it's, it's like, I have to, I can't put myself, I, I can't say to myself, I expect studio quality recordings of myself every single month. I can't, I can't do it. So I have to, I have to be a bit looser and I have to be a bit more willing to show that. And it's kind of one of the reasons I only do it within Patreon is because it's a supportive environment. It's a group of people who have chosen to support me in this extra way. So they sort of deserve an extra insight if you get me. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. So what, what is Patreon? Just for anybody that doesn't know. Um, so Patreon is a, uh, it's like a crowdfunding platform basically for artists. But instead of it just funding one particular project, um, it's kind of more of a subscription service. So you can sign up to artists who are making comics or podcasts or, um, you know, doing reviews of RuPaul's Drag Race or making songs or making you know being really well-researched journalists you know there's all sorts of different types of creators on patreon and you get charged based on what you can afford so you can sign up for a dollar and you can either decide to donate monthly to that person or you can donate to them per creation so uh my page is a per creation page so when people sign up to me let's say someone signs up for three dollars it means that that three dollars is debited 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 at the end of a month where I have actually created something so if I don't make something the money doesn't come out um if I make like three things then they'll donate three dollars for each thing unless they have a cap on their account for how much they can donate per month which is really easy for them to set up so it means that people are only giving at a rate that they can manage and sustain and it means the idea being that the artists actually have a reliable source of income that they can actually use to then really focus on their art as much as possible. Excellent. So you have you found it a really positive experience for you? Um, well, I actually set the page up like four years ago <laughs> and I only I only started using it like in December. Because I just kind of said to myself, look, it's time, you know, I got to. I got to, if I'm going to have a community on here, I want to start building it and I want to, I want to start helping my own songwriting and I want to start kind of, you know, trying to carve out the space for this and trying to make sure that I, that me carving out the space for it isn't at the expense of, you know, being able to live. So I decided to set it up and kind of actually start using it properly. So I have nine patrons on there at the moment. 
by and large, it's been a very positive experience with the patrons who are up there. Some people just sign up because they want to support me. And then some people sign up and they're much more active. You know, they listen to all the songs. They give feedback on the songs. Um, and, 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 you know, it's nice because, like, you're at gigs and stuff and you can see two or three people in the audience and you know that they're on this extra level with you where they're kind of checking in with you regularly and you're giving them stuff that no one else is hearing regularly and it's kind of like you have almost a sort of like friend group. Do you know what I mean? Secret handshakes. Yeah, it's a little bit like that and, and it's in a, in a good way. That's been good. Yeah, that having knowing that that's there and that it's kind of growing a bit has been a nice thing and it's been nice to see that like, like you can see currently, you can see the amount that I earn on, on the page. So it's it's not a whole lot per song. But it's a hell of a lot more than I would get from streaming. Do you know what I mean? Coming in per month. Well, it also gives you the opportunity to release something very regularly too. Mm. Do you know, it puts you under that. They're expecting something. So it does. You have to just get it out and do it. Yeah. And it's it's so much of what I'm really enjoying about it is the accountability of it. Like end of the month is Friday. So between now and Friday, I will write a new song and put it up online. Did it, so you have a song a month, is it? Song a week? Song a month. A song a month. So you haven't written it yet? Nope. Haven't had the time. Wow. Yep. So you've got like two days. I do. Yeah. It's scary. Wow. But you know, this is this is the thing. Is it, it's I have accountability for it though. So it is on my radar this week that hell or high water before midnight on Friday, there's going to be a new song up on my Patreon page. Fantastic. So that, that accountability means that like... I am actually writing even even in the thick of not having a lot of time and not really being able to carve out the time. I'm still doing it because I have people that have signed up to hear new music once a month. Mm-hmm. So I've been really public about saying that when I post up a Patreon, new song once a month. And every time I do it, I'm like, ah. <laughs> totally. But I'm sort of outing myself. Do you know what I mean? I'm trying to, I'm trying to grow... I'm trying to help myself grow and trying to help myself not let the fear of making something and that kind of long settling period stop me in a way, if I can help it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I actually have a book recommendation for you before I ask you for yours. It's called Show Your Work by Austin Cleon. It's a fantastic book and it's all about how you show your first drafts. That looks amazing. So basically, it's all about how you document whatever you're doing. Wow. And it's it's a chance for people to kind of see inside your process because even though you might think your processes, you know, should be protected and other people are really interested in it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And it really gives an extra element to what you're creating. That it's like, oh, this started off like this and then it went there and then they took this word out and that put sounds it in here super up cool. my street. So very cool book. Show your work, Austin Clean. Cool. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. I have some audible credits. So that's my book recommend. So can you recommend any books or anything to help you out in the creative process? Yeah. Uh, straight off the bat, The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron is a life-changing book. It's so good. A friend of mine gave it to me for my birthday and, you know, I was expecting it to maybe speak to my creativity a bit, what I wasn't expecting from it when I did it the first time because it's a little course, basically, in a book. The first time I did it, what I was not expecting was that I would learn so much about how to care for myself as a person and how to respect myself as a person. And 
it's it's hard. I know a lot of artists who have started it and who just have not been up to it, have not been able. And I was redoing the artist's way while I was in Sweden last year. And it was really, really grueling. It was really grueling. It's it's a tough experience, but it guides you back to yourself and it guides you to see yourself. And it really, if you can do it and really commit to it and stick to it, it really guides you to care for yourself and for your work. And I actually started a Facebook group on my Facebook page for The Artist's Way and I posted a video every week talking about how I got on with each week. And I would recommend that book to absolutely everybody. Yeah, I think I picked it up on your recommendation before. So it's a fantastic book. Yeah. Mm, it's very good. I love that book. There's another really interesting book uh, that a mutual friend of ours, Joe McKenna, recommended to me called The War of Art. Oh, yes. Stephen Pressfield. That's good. The War The War of Art is good. It's kind of more bite-sized than The Artist's Way, but it's like, you know, anything that gives you a vocabulary for the things you encounter and makes you feel more normal about them and less kind of self-blaming like you know in the, in the war of art he talks about resistance yeah doesn't he a lot like this this resistance that wants us to not do our work but we know that life is easier and better when we actually do the work absolutely and it, it's so right and it's it's such a good wording for what it is because you know i meet that resistance every day <laughs> you know we all do mm-hmm. but i like i like that i think it's a tough thing for artists as well because it's like you know if you have a day where you know your your own sense of self is so wrapped up in in what you produce as an artist that you think like i've written a song i don't really like it i'm a terrible person <laughs> you know what i mean where that's not really true at all do you know no it's not and the artist's way is a good way of guiding yourself out of that in some senses because a huge part of the artist's way is like she she encourages like a lot of the kind of thing you're doing barry where she's like you know if you try and limit your creativity to just one meagre area, you're going to hurt it. You know, you will probably want to be creative in many ways. You might like to draw, you might like to figure skate, you know, like developing other interests that aren't just your leading art form are really, really crucial to you as an artist because they give you energy and they give you life without the pressure. Yeah. And it's a lot of, it's, you know, it's pressure you put on yourself. You know, to think, well, I am this thing, so I'm going to be judged on whether I'm any good at this thing or not. I've I've been very consciously trying to bring other things into my life that are not music based. So like I started tango classes um, a while ago. I've been loving those. It's been so much fun to do those. You know, I try to do a lot of yoga. I try to meditate and learn about meditation. I try to, you know, like have a healthy amount of engagement with Netflix and reading and um, those things really, really help. Spread it out. Yeah. Mm, mm. Fantastic. Well, I think we're, uh, I think we're gone a little bit over our hour. So I think we will wrap this up, but uh, there's a whole, uh, there's a whole other podcast in it of the things we didn't get to talk about, about uh, the promotional side of things. Oh my God. Endless. Um, so we'll have to do, part two so stay tuned for part two at some stage down the line (laughs) thanks very much for sharing all your story well thank you for having me you are
are listening to From the Maker to the Made podcast. <laughs>